You're listening to Future Tense, the AI show that demystifies the world of artificial intelligence and tells you what you need to know. Join Jeff Joyce and Julia McCoy live right now. Hey, 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 welcome back to Future Tense. I'm Julia McCoy. And I'm Jeff Joyce. And we are here to bring you the latest and the greatest in, you know, already AI news. And let me tell you, Jeff and I were talking just a day ago about how we probably need to record two episodes of these per week, just because that is not even the minimum <laughs> to keep up. It's more like once an hour, Matt Wolf style. But hey, we're going to try without overwhelming you. So our goal with Future Tense is to bring you what actually matters to you in your life, your home, your business all of it. So that's what we're going to try to do. And pretty soon we'll probably go to twice per week. Do you agree, Jeff? I just feel like we can't keep up. I absolutely agree. And plus, I mean, they're going to be able to see more of us and hear more of us. That's always a plus, right? <laughs> just kidding. Hopefully. <laughs> they can tell us. You guys can tell us. Break the show. Like, seriously, tell us what you mm -hmm. think. We'd love to know. Hit that star. You know, be critical. Don't hold back. Be nice. <laughs> but you can tell us what you really think. We can take it. All right. So what is new in the world of AI this week? What have we decided to bring you? So I'm going to give the floor to Jeff to start. He's got some great discoveries from CES, which just happened in the last week. Was it, Jeff? Absolutely. So one of the biggest ones that I saw from CES is definitely going to be Rabbit. It's this small handheld device. And let me see. I'm going to attempt to screen share. And for you audio listeners, I'll try to describe it as best as possible. But let's see here. And well, remind us what CES is for those that aren't aware. Yeah, CES is a tech conference um, that mainly is just about new technologies. And it's always fun to, to see, but they're not always a good representation of what's actually going to come to market. Mm, um, yeah. It's more just like concepts. There are some good like winners that we see where it's like, oh, we have some good tech that come that's coming out that could actually be useful. But there was a lot of stuff like, an AI backpack that displayed an image like it, it just wasn't that useful for a lot of the stuff. But I mean, there are instances where a piece of tech is useful. And Julia, can you see my screen? Sure can. Perfect. One of those standouts that I think that took most people by storm was this little device right here. It is called Rabbit R1. And it's basically this little like orangish box with the screen on it. it has a camera and it has a push talk button and it's a voice assistant that's able to actually complete tasks. And how many tasks can actually complete? I'm not entirely sure yet. I don't think there's been too many people that have their hands on it to actually test it out. Um, but it is an interesting concept. Now, one of the things that is kind of weird about this, it's not internal into your phone. I mean, that's a bit of a misstep. You have a secondary device, but they're thinking that if you, you keep your phone in your pocket and instead you bring out this device and you use this device, this goes along a lot of along the lines of a lot of things I'm seeing with like wearables where people are creating wearable solutions where you can, you know, pin it as a lapel on your shirt and display a screen on your hand and then have AI. I think that's kind of a misstep, but it is an interesting technology. And it's very interesting to see where this is headed in terms of that. What do you think, Julia? Oh, a hundred percent. And something you said um, at the very beginning is so true. You know, a lot of the things we see that launch, especially at events like these, where it's a lot of fun to create some buzz, but what we see are concepts that aren't always, 
user friendly in the real world. So it's like, do I really want to pull out a separate box when, I mean, Jeff, like, look how large this iPhone is. You know, I don't really want to carry around two. Like, my pants will fall off. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to down. My pocket can't stand that. So, okay, interesting concept, but how will that translate to the real world? Right. Absolutely. And that actually goes into the next thing that we're actually going to see come up pretty soon here. It's uh, Galaxy Unpacks 2024. And it's... Samsung's take on generative AI. And I think this is where we're going to start to see a lot of like smart assistants built into phones, which I'm hoping that Apple's AI is not too far behind this to where actually see mm. like Siri getting an upgrade to where it's actually able to give you better experience on your phone based off of an AI that's built into your phone. I know that there's a ton of new chips coming out and this year actually that are going to include some extra processing for AI models that are built with inside of your phone. So we'll start to see upgrades to Siri doing things like even just settings, like where if it's like, I need to, you know, reduce my consumption, my battery consumption across the day, because I know I'm going to be out. It auto sets settings in your phone that analyzes your activity, like it's your screen refresh rate, all that kind of stuff to then conserve battery for you. Those are all things that are great ideas for phones and hopefully Samsung and Apple implement them well into uh, their phones. And that kind of removes the whole purpose of having an external device like the R1. But it's really interesting to see that they are picking up on this and they're actually building solutions for their phones with generative AI. Agreed completely. You know what I'm excited about, Jeff, are glasses, like wearable yes. things that you can like put over your eyes somehow without looking like somebody out of Marvel. <laughs> Like Absolutely. that is going to be a game changer. I know one of our content hacker live speakers, uh, Mark DeGrasse, he studies this to a great extent. Um, you could say he's carried away, <laughs> <laughs> but aren't we all in some way, especially if you're listening to this, you enjoy the topic of AI, you know, and one thing he sees is that there will be wearable technology that you can wear as a pair of glasses that could be completely transparent, uh, potentially invisible to the naked eye where you don't even know you're wearing it or it just looks really, really cool. And whenever you look to your left or right and you're walking down a sidewalk, what you'll see is you'll be able to look in a storefront like Macy's and actually wear something through that wearable technology and feel how it is on your body like you're in the dressing room. And that's just mind blowing that we could even get there one day. But I think, you know, that could be the future of marketing. Imagine Imagine that, like the friction you'd have. You wouldn't have to have a sales team in your retail store. <laughs> that is better than a sales team. Absolutely. And, you know, combining two different technologies that already exist right now is that we have something like the, the meta glasses. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah. Which are essentially, they're in a partnership with Ray-Ban and their glasses that they have some, some AI assistance to it, but it's not really too in-depth. They're more so, I would consider them like for video and picture taking and maybe listen to music in your podcast and you're instead of using earbuds or using glasses. But we also have the Samsung LED transparent TVs that are being released as well, where wow. that's another technology that could be built into glasses. And since they're transparent, if they can get that technology small enough, you still could still see through it, but you're actually looking at a screen. And so <laughs> that that whole field is becoming very, very interesting. We're going to see a lot of smart wearables that come to market that are going to be AI assisted to the point to where you won't need that. And maybe it's like something where you walk into a store and there's like a geotag in that store. And if you don't know what a geotag is, essentially it's a perimeter set up around a location that once you walk within that perimeter, it triggers some type of action. 
And which with glasses, that could be something like display an advertisement for this when they walk in, or maybe they give them an alert about this when they walk in. What are the specials here in this restaurant or the store? And it's displayed on your glasses. All these sorts of things are possible with generative AI, and they can even be done on the fly, which is something that's so powerful with generative AI. It can, it can custom tailor experiences to each individual person walking in with generative AI. And the, so the future is just through the roof on what's possible with this technology. I completely agree. And that's something we're, you know, we're interested in exploring our all angles, not just how do we actually use AI as software in our business or as an augmentation for the human, but how do we foresee what's going to happen in our homes? And um, that said, before we go there, I want to start with, um, on my end, the custom GPTs. So was it six days ago, Jeff, the GPT store came out? The sound about right? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, the GPTs. Uh, last Wednesday came out. So. Ah, yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So OpenAI launched this on their blog. They announced that that came out the GPT stored. If you're not sure how that works, you can literally create your own version of ChatGPT and have users interact with it based on a series of prompts you've developed. So to give you an example, and I know we have a lot of you listening that aren't actually watching the show and we want to encourage that. So if that's you, Awesome. We're going to make sure the show caters to listeners, not just viewers. Because um, I don't know about you, Jeff, but that's how I listen to podcasts. I listen. So so um, that said, I want to share with you, and I'll cater to the audio listeners, a custom GPT that I actually built to test this out. Um, the GPT named itself. <laughs> so it named itself Wordweaver. And it's really, really simple to get started, by the way. You just need a chat GPT account. Do you need the pro account, Jeff? At 20 yes, bucks a month. Okay. You need that. But like, that's it. It's so simple to get in here and create this. And then you just configure it. And that looks like you're going to name it. You're going to describe it. You're going to give it instructions. And those instructions can guide the back end and the front end, how people are going to interact with it, what they should expect of it. So for me, <laughs> Wordweaver, which ChatGPT named it pretty good. Uh, Wordweaver is a copywriter in my style. So, for example, in the instructions, I'm telling it that it's going to mirror Julia McCoy's style. It's going to create high quality content with a natural human like voice. And of course, I specialize in long form content. And to give you some perspective, you know, I've been doing content for 10 years. Just one quote that I put out and there's, you know, there's a misconception out there that copy pays more. I would say sometimes content can actually pay more. Um, one gig at one time was worth $60,000 to me. So that's how much clients are willing to pay for content that works. But again, it has to be profitable content, right? Which is an art and a science. When I ran my writing agency, I mean, we would go through 500 candidates to find 10 good candidates for content writers, people that thought they could write, but they didn't know how because this is such an art and a science. So back to training this custom GPT. So here I come, right, with a lot of experience. I'm going to see if I can create this thing in a way where people can interact with it and get content that mimics my style. So we're training it in the background. We're saying, you know, have a natural human-like voice, mimic Julia McCoy's style. GPT is going to know my style. I have over a thousand published blogs. It's going to be able to pick that up without me telling it too much else. And I am going to tell it, like, what is important to me. So avoid plagiarism. Avoid misinformation. <laughs> I chuckle telling the LLM that. 
<laughs> see how that turns out. Um, and then I tell it to make sure the content appear doesn't appear as AI generated. So it needs to read truly human-like. Um, go from formal to casual, infuse humor, and be really diverse with how you write. These are some of the instructions I'm continuing to tell it. Okay, and then I'm telling it specifically, be undetectable whenever you write a blog, which means make sure that when that blog post is generated, no AI detector can pick it up as robotic. And if you don't know how that works, AI detectors simply predict how robotic a piece of content sounds. So they're telling you based on the patterns in the text, hey, this sounds robotic or hey, this sounds human-like. And you have to remember, it's not going to know that a robot wrote it. It's just going to know it sounds robotic, which, by the way, is the reason the U.S. Constitution got picked up as 100% AI written. <laughs> <laughs> those writers <laughs> were a little stiff. Okay, so I trained it, and now I'm going to ask, or I'm going to write out four prompts. These prompts are going to be what the user sees when I launch my custom GBT. These are conversation starters that these people can click on to generate what should be something that Julia McCoy would write. Okay, so what are the things that people would go to me and hire me for? Hmm, SEO content catchy homepage taglines, emails for campaigns like a Black Friday course sale, awesome names for things like marketing newsletters. So those are actually the four prompts, aka conversation starters that I gave it. Okay, now when I launched this thing and I actually asked it, okay, write an SEO blog. And I had it work with me to do that. What came out was like so far off, it's offensive. And for some background, you know, I sold this as a service and I really know what works and what doesn't. I can tell you in 10 seconds or less, this is going to work on your blog. This is going to build trust and sales. This is going to boost your CTR. This is going to get you subscribers or it's not. It's going to fall, fall completely flat. And so as I read what this custom GBT called Wordweaver supposed to be in the style of Julia McCoy is generating right now. It's utter crap. It's not even 50% as good as the top piece in Google. So knowing that, like this whole thing, I just want to dump in the trash. And I've seen some really good thoughts on custom GBTs, which I think that they're great. You just got to remember what you're using them for. And if you expect to interact with one and get, you know, like what I would sell as a service back, ready to copy, paste, and go, you are misinformed on how GBTs work um, because that's just not what you're going to get. I have seen marketers launch custom GBTs in the GPT store. Um, they've spent three to six months. They put everything into building these GBTs, configured them. They were successful. They published them. And then OpenAI yanked that completely off the store. And they were hoping, they were predicting that as like 80% of their income. So you also have to remember that, you know, if you're banking a a ton on this going out, making you money, you have to remember it's not your platform. And that's something I'm really big on is thinking about the platform you own, which is why that website first approach, you know, sell from your website, build services on real estate you own, that's your site. So thinking through all of those caveats is really important whenever you approach these custom GPTs so that you can use them correctly. And I will tell you, 
I will never, you will never see Word Weaver from Julia McCoy live in the custom GPT store <laughs> because it was just an utter failure. Jeff, anything you'd add on that? I know you've been studying this because you're in the back end as our AI director, you know, building a lot of the good stuff inside continent scale. Yeah, I mean, one of the big points that you hit on is AI detection. That is like a big problem that I see with custom GPTs. And I mean, if you're going to, I know that Google said that like AI content is okay as long as it's helpful, as long as it satisfies eat, then like that's, it's it's okay. But we still need to be conscious that Google can change their mind at any point in time. And that is a factor that you have to look into where it's like, do am I really going to trust Google not to flip-flop on this? They already flip-flopped once, yeah. are they going to flip-flop again? And I think that's a big thing that we need to consider when using a custom GPT. The other thing that people need to understand is that what it's doing is it's generalizing instructions for chat GPT that's powering these custom GPTs to then perform a task. Those generalizations aren't always good. Like it'll take whatever you're saying and it's going to create what it thinks is a good prompt, but it's not really creating the necessary prompt to get the exact output that you want. And so you're going to see a ton of these custom GPTs flood the store that are just going to be garbage. They're not going to be good. They're not going to get you the desired output. It's not going to perform as well as it could if you just had a really highly tailored prompt or something like our generative AI, or Amy inside of Continent Scale, which was really, really good. And I actually wanted to showcase something. This is the power of AI. And for you audio listeners, um, I'll try to describe it as best as I can. Let me go ahead and share my screen real quick. Um, a while back, I did a test. And this test was creating a viral, viral videos, like reels and stuff like that, with AI. And the result from it was the following. You got 17,313 Facebook followers, 3,056 Instagram followers, 1.1 million views on shorts. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. But some of these videos got 500,000 plus views. Wow. I mean, we're talking 100,000 uh, views on one of yours. This is all AI assisted. And the thing about it is, is that our platform uh, with content at scale. Can you still see my screen? I sure can. Awesome. Let me go ahead and actually change it to over to the other screen real quick. Slide. Our platform is designed based on this, this knowledge. Like everything that we do, we have a, a series of agents that are all custom tailor-made, which is kind of similar to custom GPTs, except these are created by, with expert prompt crafting. They're designed to perform very, very well for whatever it is you want. Like for instance, I have uh, one of our agents who's named Caitlin, who's just a copywriter. And I just wanted to talk about AI trends. And so you can customize this to talk in your own, in your own voice. We have something called a personalized AI specifically for our, our agents, it's able to actually analyze your personality, your writing samples, and basically shape this content to speak exactly how you are. It's not a generalized form like ChatGPT is doing, where it's basically just creating a generalized instructions. It's actually going into questions that it needs to ask you in order for it to create excellent content for you. And so this is just a quick summary of some things that it's things that are trends for, for 2024. Um, AI expansion, like expansion in machine learning, um, the neuro evolution for the brain, which is talking about computer interfaces that, uh, combined with your brain, ethical AI usage, sustainable AI usage is like we're reducing carbon because we're, we're going to see a huge uptick in electricity usage due to these AI platforms and systems, um, decentralized autonomy, which is 
all talking about blockchain and Julia, we actually talked about that in the previous episode, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll go, we'll go into more in the future, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, this is an excellent piece of content that's well-researched because it's doing the research for you. And even our main platform does really deep research into the content that it's going to serve to the public. And that's a huge thing that ChatGPT unfortunately does not do. And these custom GPTs do not do. Oh. Yes. Well said. Well, that's why you're the director of AI, Jeff. I couldn't explain it at that level. I'm just like, look <laughs> at this crap. Don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, we're going to keep moving at a fast pace here because we have a special guest coming on in 10 minutes from our own team at Continent Scale. Yay. So before we introduce Simon, I wanted to go into something uh, that's making the news. You may have seen it or not. It's on the New York Times. It is all over. It's on Business Insider. Um, it is really floating to the top. So there was an OpenAI-backed humanoid robot um, robotic startup. I don't know. What a mouthful. That got $100 million in funding. And let me tell you, what I'm seeing from this company could really be the future of robots in our homes, which I am, I'll tell you, really excited about as a mom with two little kids, constant dishes, constant laundry, um, you know, things like moving across states. <laughs> Hopefully that's one time this year and one time for a long time. Um, but, you know, things pop up that are just annoying, <laughs> like laundry. <laughs> and how amazing would it be to have like the robots take care of those things, just like AI has done with the research part, the writing part, and so much of writing that I didn't enjoy anyway to begin with. So just like it's going to take so much headache out of work and what we do and what we didn't like there anyway, I think it'll take a lot of headache out of the home and what we do to optimize our life because that touches work, that touches joy, happiness, peace, creativity, inspiration, all of those things, right? Like if I know I have this looming pile of laundry to get back to, uh, not very creative there. <laughs> so this open AI backed humanoid robot developer, I've just never seen a robot look this user friendly and have so much potential. So it's a Norwegian startup called 1x technologies and they secured 100 million in a series b funding round specifically listen to this for the development of domestic humanoid robots <laughs> the future is here the robots are going to cook for us any day now all right that, that's not what the news headline says that was my commentary so it's saying that the funds are going to go straight towards the company's second generation android robot called neo and what's interesting about this robot in particular um, is this is a cloth robot that looks kind of harmless. <laughs> so whenever you watch movies like The Matrix and The Terminator, I think you see a very scary physical robot. And when you see that, I mean, Jeff, do you want that per- that thing in your home? <laughs> I mean, Maybe. This also goes into another territory that I'm vastly excited about, which is, you ever see that show called BattleBots? No, writing this down. It's this, 
it's a little it's a show that's like popular in the in the nineties, early two thousands. Uh that people made these little robots, they fought each other. And what I'm hoping happens is that we see like a UFC match between this bot and the Tesla Optimus <laughs> bot, where we have Elon Musk, you know, getting a Rome arena where we have like, you know, these two bots going at it. That's that's the the amazing future that I see. I so I see like the use case of like in the home, but entertainment wise, I mean that could be a, a pay-per-view event of a lifetime right there. It's just these two bots going at it. So that's a very exciting aspect that I'm interested in. <laughs> so in the home, maybe. In the arena, absolutely. Jeff, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that's like the Roman gladiators gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to put him to the test. No, I'm dying over here. No, I wouldn't pay to watch that, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, leave a comment below if you think if you would want to see that. <laughs> <clears throat> oh my goodness, I gotta recover from that one. I'm like over here, like cooking, cleaning. You're like fight. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many different viewpoints of the use <laughs> mm-hmm. of ai i mean that's interesting though you know think about that like what if one day we're turning on like the wrestling channel and mm-hmm. it but i would not want to watch that guys you got to let us know would you actually watch that crap <laughs> <laughs> like there's no it's hard to envision like honor associated with a win <laughs> when it's a robot winning. I don't know. Yeah, I think that comes down to like the craftsmanship, right? It's like the how advanced can it be? I think it's a it's a good testing ground to see like what motor functions work the best, and like that creates like iterative development on it. So there is like a lot of interesting science that go can go on with that that can be involved with honor because that's like pride for their teams. But I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's discuss honor among bots, Jeff. Right, right. <laughs> no, that's a really interesting thought, though. Like, to see what technology wins. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's interesting. Because if you take, like, an OpenAI-backed firm, like this new technology, 1X Technologies, and you take something like Google and what they're going to build or what Facebook Meta is building, and you put those two together, oh, my gosh, like, that's that is the showdown of the century. Yeah, mm-hmm. so never mind. <laughs> when it's like the hugest brands in the world fighting together to see what iterative success comes out of that, you count me in. That's cool. But just to like flip a channel and see two random robots like trying to wrestle each other, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting my popcorn out for that. <laughs> but it's interesting because I have been so, you know, obsessed with like the idea of a domestic humanoid robot and what i see with neo is like so much potential and they're picturing this thing you know inside of the home so it's like what it can pick up what it can lift it was actually tested like cleaning a table putting the dishes in the sink and because it's cloth like the just the i think the acceptance and the perception of it that alone like how you see it and how it feels in front of you I think could change how we see the robots entering our home versus like the scary metal skeleton that we would be horrified to see picking up our child. <laughs> right. So 
it's interesting to see this further develop. And I know we're almost at the hour. We're almost about to introduce Simon. And the last headline you and I had here, Jeff, to cover was about the deep fakes, which is something um, that's also really important just to follow and be aware of, um, mm -hmm. you know, if for any reason, just to know like what not to do with your own content. So in the news lately, there have been companies that are generating versions of celebrities to endorse um, things like cookware. <laughs> So Taylor Swift, I guess, was handing out free cookware the other day, but it wasn't really her. It was an AI generated version of her. And it's funny because how she responded was she laughed. She's like, I hope nobody, you know, took me up on that cookware scam because that wasn't me. But when this happened to other celebrities, they got offended. Um, you know, so it's really interesting to see the response. Because there is some tongue-in-cheek I can appreciate there. But at the same time, like, just to take somebody's face and likeness and then create something with AI just so you can make a sale, that's not cool. That's just not cool. Any thoughts you have on that, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we saw something similar with Tom Hanks as well. And he, I, there's actually a YouTube channel, uh, I can't remember the name of it, that's been doing a lot of, like, Tom Hanks, like, movie trailers that are fake. And it's all good fun for them. But, I mean, there's... A ton of examples like this where we have celebrity impersonators where you see it all over Facebook sometimes where you'll join a group and it's all of a sudden you see the rock in there and he's you know he's selling something that probably isn't selling in real life but they have him endorsing it and he, so there's all sorts of these like scams like that happen deep fake and it just leans itself further into our previous episode if you haven't listened to it make sure that you go and listen to that episode one where we talked about deep fakes and the things that are coming out to help combat deep fakes and it's a huge discussion that deserves like pretty much it's almost its own episode because there's so, there's so many instances mm -hmm. of this and there's so many things for you not to do and things that you should do with deep fakes. Yes, that's a great point. Things you should do versus things you shouldn't. And um, just before we wrap up, wrap up and move to our guest, this is what this is what viewers saw. So for those of you listening, oops, <laughs> I accidentally deleted it from my screen. Let me pull it back up. I got to say, like this for a deep fake, like this looks a lot like Taylor Swift. Would I have been fooled? I almost think I would have if I saw this just scrolling through the news. What do you think, Jeff? And that looks a lot yeah. like. Yeah, it looks like a like a younger version of herself. It's not quite perfect. You can still kind of tell. Mm, but I mean, if you true. haven't seen her in a while, you haven't seen what she looks like now. I mean, that that's Taylor Swift. I have seen her at, you know, like the Golden Globes wearing so much makeup. It looks like she's aged backwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like oh is this just another filter or maybe more makeup so that's where i'm like hmm i would have thought yeah. that was her anyway, it's crazy to see how accurate these are getting all right so let's wrap this up and move on to the next segment which is we have somebody from our own team joining us today simon i'm going to bring him up on stage welcome to future tense hey guys how so you going? simon so for those of you that don't know what you do, will you tell us about your role at Constant Scale? Sure. So well, it's a very dynamic role. Um, I was brought in to add that polish and flair and user experience to the amazing tech platform that everyone is focused on creating and bringing to the world. And an amazing job you've done too. The news site, everything looks so good. Everything we've released so far has been like really, really well polished and just really well designed. I'm so happy. Yes. <laughs> Every yeah. Every time I talk to Simon, I'm just praising him. 
<laughs> it's a it's a really exciting thing to do because when you're you're essentially building on the shoulders of giants, everyone has gone and built all of the underlying stuff that makes everything just work really, really well. And then now we get to bring in this layer of the the user's interaction. So it's it's when they're interacting with the platform. It's those micro instances. It's the how does the menu behave? Like, does it feel just obvious what I'm supposed to do on every single page? Um, and there's a lot that goes into that, and a lot of people don't really realize it, but they always will have that feeling of if they look at a website or if they look at a software platform, they say, oh, this feels nice, right? Everybody sort of references the Apple design scheme. When you look at their website, you go, oh, this is nice. I, this is premium. This feels great. Um, I feel comfortable. I know what I'm doing here. And and everybody strives to pursue and achieve that uh, sense of feeling when you're developing your platform. And so we get to go and focus on that type of feeling. Uh, and obviously, the antithesis of that is, oh, this feels clunky. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do here? What is this thing even? I don't have time for this. And that's all the feelings we get to try and avoid and, and navigate around and help alleviate. So that's what I do here. In a nutshell, yeah. love it. Yep. And a, a lot of work goes into that. You have to have to know a lot about your audience. You have to know a lot about the design. I mean, this compared to our previous homepage and like the stuff that we're, we're doing inside the app and stuff like that, it it's night and day, really. Like, it, I yeah. can't believe it. <laughs> it is. Yeah, as you go through as you go through different stages, you you have the capacity, the resources, the need to focus on different things. And um, everything that was focused on in the beginning did an amazing job of getting us to where we were. And now we're trying to step it up several notches and get to a new level. Um, and that's going to open the gates for all of the other stuff that we're trying to work on. So before you found Continent Scale, Simon, have you worked in AI or have you just been obsessed with AI? <laughs> Largely just obsessed with AI. So uh, let's see, maybe two, three years ago, uh, I could see a world where um, the content that we were producing at the time um, was going to be bundled up and put into an AI chatbot talking avatar, whatever that you could Q&A with and just get that support um, that we would, you know, currently people would pay consultants still for you know, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, buy a training program and they work on it for, for three months. All of these subject matter experts, all of that knowledge being distilled down into um, an AI that they would be able to use to reach a wider audience, go from one-on-one -on -one conversations in person to then they scale up to Zoom meetings where they can sort of do groups up to 50, up to 100. But then this would really open the gates for people to just go head to head with the best in the world as long as they were good at marketing. So I could see that coming and I was trying to shift in that direction. And ultimately that led me down the path to content at scale. And I'm really happy of uh, of where I've found myself now because we get to work on some of the best tech in the world. We are literally on the bleeding edge. Mm, so true. I mean, what we get to see you and Justin and our developers come across in the R&D stage is just unbelievable, uh, unbelievable to me. <laughs> and it's really cool because last year, you know, I was deeply engrossed in asking myself, I just sold my agency, 100 people, 100 writers. I was ready for what was coming with AI and I was asking myself, you know, which company is really going to change the game? And there were so many I interacted with, if not worked for, got in the middle of, consulted for, and it's just like, oh boy, <clears throat> you know, these founders, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have any vision. They're just after VC. They're just after a quick win. And 
this is just such a refreshingly different environment, I think, than 90% of the AI companies out there that are trying to just get VC and just ride the wave. Because it sounds like we are riding the wave, but it's for a much different reason than so many other companies. And I love like the the genius ideas that have occurred that we're going to chase this year, you rather, and the development team came from R&D of how do we actually make this a better product for our users? And then, bam, light bulb idea that could affect the entire world as we know it. <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> keep listening. But it's just amazing. And I think if you study some of the most successful companies in the world, which, you know, I'll listen to Steve Jobs on YouTube for way too long. But when you study those people, the best iterations came from just following that customer journey and not just answering the question of what does this customer want, but actually having the vision to be like two to three steps ahead of them and predict what they want. That's what Jobs did. And I think that that is something that you and our founder just do really well that I don't see. I really don't see that in a lot of other AI companies. And it's really cool because whenever we found you, Simon, we were looking for somebody who was awesome at UX, like just that was our number one. And we needed a new website and we needed it fairly soon. <laughs> and so here we were on, bit, on a tight timeline. <laughs> and you were in the top 3% of UX designers on Upwork. So we knew like you were the person for this. And it was really cool to work with you on that. That new site came out, continentscale.ai. You can see it came out in November. And it's really cool to continue to work with you and the team on just improving that, making it a better experience. But it's interesting to see how you're, um, UX skills translated so well to not just the exterior experience of the website, but now you're working on the interior, the actual app design and the flow of the journey of these steps. And what I'm seeing that hasn't released to the public yet is so unbelievably user-friendly technologies that Jeff helped produce with Amy Chat, the AI agents, which we have, we just don't have a unified experience yet. And I think it's really cool you're building that, not to reveal products too early but is there anything you can share about what you're working on oh well, let's see how can i do this in an abstract way so um <laughs> you mentioned uh working with the ai agents um and our new generative ai suite that came out again in november last year um getting to work with with jeff and with justin and, and chris and you and really seeing where we're trying to go as a company um also recognizing where we're at and where we've, how we've sort of gotten to that with the team we have and the constraints, like every business has its own constraints through growth. It's, um, I call them growing pains. And then we're going, okay, well, this is what we need to do like today. If we don't fix this now, like this is a, a problem, right? So you're always servicing your existing customer base. And then we're also looking at, okay, here is where we're trying to get to in uh, three, six, nine, 12 months time as a business. And then we mm -hmm. factor in the market and where it's sort of shifting because as AI, you can't just react anymore you really need to think ahead yeah. um and then we go okay so how do we balance those two things how do we take steps towards that whilst we're also fixing things from the past whilst we're also servicing our existing customers while we're also factoring in new market audiences that we're beginning to capture um and so at the moment we're working we're about to shift from design into development phase for our first major uh, UI overhaul in the app. And it's it's essentially designed to reduce the number of interactions or clicks or steps that a user needs to do to achieve any of the things they're trying to do in the system. 
So we've sort of got um, maybe six to 10 primary uh, jobs to be done that everyone would do as a user in our platform. Um, and at the moment, it can take a little bit of um, sort of background awareness of a process that isn't necessarily translated in the platform. So as a content producer, as an agency, as a writer, you go through a workflow, right? Um, and at each of those steps, you do certain tasks, right? And this is pretty much, um, you could extrapolate this into literally any industry, into any job, into any type of process. We all go through this series of steps. Most of us just do it automatically because we've done it so long. Then software is often designed around specific steps in or parts of those of that process, right? So we get one tool that helps us with this, we get one tool that helps us with that, we get one tool that helps us with that. Um, but if you are unaware of the, the flow and the process as a brand new user coming in, or you have a slightly different process, sometimes the user and the software tool won't align because they can't find their process in your system, even though it might be there. You might have all of the features, all of the things they want to do. Um, a lot of people will find if people are churning, like people need to exit and go to another platform. Most of the time, if you have a conversation with them, they go, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Wow, mm -hmm. can I do that? As and so mm -hmm. it's the, this next step that we're doing is really trying to bubble those uh, actions to the top so that within two to three clicks, they can have executed any of our um, AI-driven functions and look at those results. Um, and so that's really exciting for me to be able to have that kind of impact starting to make its way through. And we should see that out in, in a very short timeline from now. I'm not going to put a specific date on. We all yeah. learned that. <laughs> not to do that <laughs> i'm super excited oh, about that what i've seen so far is awesome mm, i think that there's, there's a lot of stuff that you touched on that's really valuable for anybody that's listening that the way that you go through stuff that's like you've been doing something for so long that if you just take a step back kind of analyze that entire workflow and even from like a if you're working with other employees like that if you have a process like second so take a step back analyzing your workflow mapping that out for another employee for trainings like that it's really really valuable and i think that that's a really crucial step that every business has to go through. Yeah, and a, a lot of smaller companies never evolve beyond that. Um, founders have a lot of mm -hmm. trouble getting their processes out of their heads and you know, training up a VA or training up another team member. And that often reflects as like, oh, this new team member is no good. I've got to let them go kind of thing. Or they weren't the right market or they weren't the right um, uh, assistant or they weren't the right SEO consultant for me. Um, but ultimately, taking that step back and being able to just kind of uh, uh, zoom in and zoom out on everything you do, um, whether it's your business, whether it's your process, whether it's your goals, if you can uh, develop that skill, you can see things in a, a very different perspective that a lot of other people can't. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I think a lot of us default to either one or the other. It's like bird's eye weeds, and it's very hard to have both, but you have to be able to kind of get the long-term and the short-term right. Yeah, and we like you. You can spend a lot of time out in the bird's eye view or the thirty thousand foot view, and it's all pie in the sky. And you're like, yeah, we could do this, we could do that, and it's, and you're never going to hit any roadblocks because you're so far up, you can't see them. But the flip <laughs> side of that is, you can be right down in the details, in the weeds, and be completely missing opportunities flying past you because you're so fixated on this tiny little thing. And where if you take one step back or even three steps back, you realize in what I'm trying to do, this tiny little thing is getting way too much effort and attention and energy, and I should just stop. And that's really hard. When mm -hmm. people get momentum in a direction, they get this, um, what is it, sunk cost 
syndrome where they, they can't let it go because they've invested so much time and, and mm-hmm. resources and money into it. If they don't get it into a result, like they feel oh, I failed or I've, I've wasted all that when, you know, sometimes just stepping back and going, that's not serving me anymore. Okay. That one's better. Let's just drop that and start working on it. Hmm. It's hard. Human humans yeah. are tricky, complex beings. <laughs> yes. We have to rewire our brain in many ways because we're just not, we're either not wired that way, or I think the more accurate way to say is we are, but then we go through a series of conventional years, aka traditional schooling, uh-huh. and we lose <laughs> a lot of the ability to just naturally adapt from failure. Yeah. That's something I've been studying pretty in depth with this past year. My next book is actually called Joy of Failure because I think how we adapt, how we respond to something that didn't succeed is so critical it could be more critical than how we actually respond to success. And the lessons we take from that impact what we do and give us more success than success itself. So I think that's a great point you raised. So when you were invited on the show, Simon, um, I told you, or rather asked you, don't want to sound too bossy, <laughs> that um, tell us about your role, what you do, but also uh, what you see with AI. And I think, um, what you see in particular is so interesting, right? We have so many internal conversations in the team and it's really cool to talk amongst ourselves about this. And I just, I want to bring that a little bit to the public because we have such good conversations where, um, you know, I think more and more of, of the world is absolutely becoming aware, hopefully through our show, as you listen and subscribe, shameless plug, future tense on all platforms streaming right now. <laughs> But as you, as the world becomes more aware of AI being the future, I don't think we'll have the fear and the resistance as much. Um, but, you know, just when I started here last January, I saw so much more resistance among writers, agencies, there's a lot of fear. And I do see that less. But overall, the importance of AI, um, you know, we've heard it said it's more important of a discovery than electricity, than fire. (laughs) How do you see AI when it comes to impacting work and the future of work as we know it? It's, I would say it's the single biggest change any of us are ever going to go through in our life. It is not going to be over quickly. It's going to be spanning pretty much indefinitely, but the bulk of the change period will be in the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to completely transform the way we work because um, you know, to date for at least 50 to 100 years, humans have essentially defined value by the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you take a step back, as we were talking about, look at the job that you do today and just imagine for a second, whether you can believe it or not, imagine if 80% of the stuff you spend time on is no longer required because it's done by AI in a matter of minutes, right? Now, don't freak out and go, oh, the AI took my job. Hmm. You should be the person driving the AI to eliminate 80% of the more mundane, trivial typing on a computer, thinking about answers for this or that, um, like lower level cognitive load, um, planning, coordinating, monitoring, researching, all of these kind of things that just take a long time. And they kind of, I don't think that they're very good uh, uses of human life, right? We could be Mm -hmm. working on such better things individually Mm -hmm. as a collective. So what I see AI really doing is unlocking human potential. And it's it's that latent human potential, right? We'll see it as, well, 
I'm now like a 10X writer. I'm now a 10X finance manager. That's the initial wave. But then as people have more and more time freed up, they're going to need to fill it. If you've ever gone on a holiday and you're someone who, who works or runs a business, you have a lot of trouble sitting still and not thinking. It often will take a, a week to wind down and then you go, cool, all right, I can get used to sitting around. And then you start ramping right back up because you've got to get back to work soon. So you start anticipating and thinking, oh, what am I, okay, what are the things I was working on? I've got to get back into it. So we as human beings have a hard time sitting still, not doing something. Um, and then in the transition from, yeah, in the, in the place of being employed where we get paid for doing things, we'll need to shift to a perception of getting an outcome or having a fantastic team. Great. We've got the team. What are we going to work on? How, what are we going to create as a business, as a team? What's our, what's our goals, right? Um, and that's a, it's going to be a big mental shift and a lot of people are going to struggle through it. Um, but ultimately having those two things um, is going to just lay the path forward for way more exciting things to be built, way more um, human beneficial things to be built. Um, it's a whole different reason to get up in the morning and enjoy going to work rather than complaining about your job that you hate, that you don't want to leave. Um, that's what I think the, the shift will happen from a human's perspective, but ultimately expanding a little bit more on what AI is going to do in the workplace. It's really compressing the time it takes to get something done, which means, um, again, our, our brains are going to, and our thinking is going to need to evolve rapidly from, we've really gone from like linear thinking human beings. And now we've got technology that's exploding at an exponential rate. And we need to start thinking one to two steps ahead so that we're not getting there and reacting. We're actually responding as we meet these new things that are coming down in the AI space monthly, weekly, daily. Yeah. Mm, well very, said. Very mm -hmm. I love the optimism you have there where, you know, and I think it's actually, I completely agree. There's so much pessimism about, well, this could end up in, you know, a dystopian world where the robots are basically the slave drivers of humanity and the world's up in flames. Or it could be we're actually harnessing these things to have a better life. And that's what I see as well. Um, Jeff, curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you just mentioned, too, is that we're going to see a lot of people that are going to have a ton of free time and that free time that they get back. There's like this every like good performer out there. When I say like performer, I mean, like, like think of like an executive, like they're always looking to win back their time. What is the best use case for their time? They're always looking to optimize that because top performers need to do that because they need to, have to win their time back to spend it on bigger projects. And with that compression that we're going to have, we're going to see a lot of people that, like you said, can't sit still. I'm, I'm one of those people myself. I always look for something. If I have more time, it's like, what is that next thing yeah. that I want to do, whether it be creative or whatever it is, whatever I'm passionate about at the time, it just happens that AI is my current passion and I'm loving it. So, but um, there's always going to be that something that, that next carrot to chase. And winning back your time through AI, compressing the amount of time it takes for you to do stuff is a huge win because then you're, that carrot is continuously, you're going to continuously follow one. You're continuously going to be chasing after something. And I think that I'm, well, I like to play a devil's advocate and say like, there is a possibility that things can go absolutely wrong. It's important to understand that perspective of where things can go wrong and to prepare for that and say, well, this is the safeguards that we need. But I think that 
overall, I'm an optimist when it comes to it. I do see the benefits of it. I think that we should embrace it as much as possible and chase after it as much as possible, but also keep in mind the way that we can have the shortcomings that can happen through AI and then prepare and talk about those things. So that way we can create proper safety guards, proper legisl legislation for it, and you know, really get the conversations going about what what is ethical AI usage? What is the ethics behind everything that we do and how it affects people? So at the end of the day, it's going to affect everybody. What you said about yeah, compressing time mm -hmm. was really, um, really good, Jeff. You know, I was talking to a business owner just today, and Simon, I'll give you the floor in a minute. And this business owner didn't even have the time for content creation, like at all. So we're talking somebody that's so busy with the day to day of their actual business, that they don't even have time. He's like, and he looked at me so sadly when he said it. And I relate because I, I've been there even as a content creator. He's like, you know, I just, we have a camera, we have the equipment and we just can't get the content out. You know, do you know of any way we could get this out faster? I'm like, AI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so blew his mind a little with the tool you're using, Jeff Opus. He was mind blown about that. But it's just amazing, I think, to take people that aren't even capable right now of creating content because they don't even have the margin to then give them that margin because you can sit down and create it in minutes versus weeks and yep. months. But Simon, what were you going to say? I'll, I'll just comment to that. As a, as a service in the service industry, you're either trying to give back dollars or give back time and AI can do both of those things. Mm. And that's again, yep. like compre imagine having, you're like dropping 80% like freeing up 80% of your time, like it's essentially a five-fold increase in your capacity to be effective. And then if you can drop your cost by like by 90% in a lot of areas, you've now freed up the amount of capital that you had to spend on lots of different things. And then there's an exercise that you can go through, right? To, to sort of get yourself more in mind with that. Because as was said before, people get in momentum, they have trouble getting out of that momentum. So if you're in a person, like in a state where you don't have enough time and, and the guy that you were speaking to, he probably won't ever have enough time even being shown the solution because he has trouble taking a step back and looking at things and re-engineering something. And that's just the way it is. Some of our businesses, they kind of grow to a point where we haven't installed processes Maybe we don't know how, maybe we just didn't take mm -hmm. the time when we had a little bit more time to do it. Um, and so now we're in the middle of it and we're running around and we're trying to service this client and, oh no, um, we've got another contract finishing up. I have to get a new client coming in and it's just like, bang, 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 and you don't even have time to think. And then you go home and it's like, uh, am I, am I a parent now? Am I still at work? Uh, and you're just constantly fragmented and we, our brains misfire when we're fragmented. We, we can't focus on a single thing. So we actually jump context switching like constantly throughout the day, right? And as we do that, our brain and our IQ drop. So we're ineffective, which means we can't think of better ideas. Um, I got a little bit off topic there, but this stuff gets me like excited, the whole like human factor into it and, and how that's all going to need to evolve and where we're sort of headed from here. It's, it's amazing. That, uh, that reminded me of like a, a quote that I, I'm, I'm going to please butcher this. It's like, it's a question. It's like, does, uh, do you run your business or does your business run you? And it's like, mm -hmm. that's the whole thing of like, do you, are you so inundated in your company to where it's like tasks are getting constantly put on you to where you're not actually making decisions for your company. Your company's making decisions for you. And that's because of maybe you're just in too much into repetition. You do things a certain way, just like you were talking about Simon. And it's like, if you get to that point, 
it's time to reevaluate your business as a whole across the board and say, what are the areas that true I'm truly providing value? What is the best use of case of my time? And let me take that step back, just like you were saying, Simon, take a step back, reanalyze, look at it. Because if your business is running you, you are losing a lot of your time. And even if you're showing that AI solution, like it's just not gonna work for you unless you take that step back. And you have to learn I, how to be right. that person, right? Yeah. That knows how to delegate, that knows how to lead a team. Cause I know, like I have so much sympathy for the business owner that isn't there yet. And they're like, well, I have to run my business right now because I'm learning how to be a leader. I'm learning how to delegate or build systems and processes. So I know we have somebody that commented, no time for content. You know, if that's the place you're in, if you're like still learning how to actually be that person with processes, systems, you know, it took me definitely a few years and listening to some podcasts, reading some books to even be ready to delegate. And then when I did like finding people I could rely on was so incredibly hard. And that's where AI, <laughs> again, <laughs> with our AIO approach, you know, instead of 100 writers to produce 50 pieces, you only need one. And that's an incredible way to look at delegation in this new era of opportunity where we don't have to hire 100 humans anymore. We can get really lean. AI can augment one amazing person by 10x. You still need that amazing person, but you don't need an army anymore. So just thinking differently and opening your mind to that new, the new direction that AI can take you with even that as well, like the people load of this. And the person I was talking to has a very physical business where it's like house painting, packing, and maybe the humanoid is way too expensive right now. <laughs> so hire and send that's in the about, house. Yeah. <laughs> but one day that's what that person should be doing is, you know, it could be an army of robots that show up in a van. <laughs> Sounded so weird. And here comes the robots out of the van. You're all packed up in minutes versus <laughs> one person that's hungry, tired. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just thinking with that, you know, it's like the processes are going to look so different when we have truly well-built, robust AI at our fingertips, like Continent Scale is. You know, it's one of the only robust platforms for content development because it is undetectable. So I can trust it like a human writer and give it to a human writer and it help that writer versus hurt, which is like Jeff, you were saying, you know, we have to be aware of there's a lot of AI technology out there that can hurt, not help. So it's wise to pick and choose and make sure you have the right one. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say about that before, if if the two parts to have a look at. So people who are are not um they realize that they should be getting more across ai and they're not yet they should think about like auditing their time like during the day if they find themselves sitting at a computer and ah uh, this is i wish i had somebody to do this for me like i, sh I should have a va for like we call them um five dollar tasks right so mm -hmm. versus fifty dollar yeah. tasks you should be working on the fifty dollar tasks and having somebody or something else handling the five dollar tasks so if you find yourself doing a five dollar task take 10 minutes jump over to Google and say, blah, 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 task by AI or by software. And just look what's out there now that can do that task. And every week that's gonna have more and more options available for you and better and better and faster and faster solutions and cheaper and cheaper. Just develop the skill of, of keeping your eyes open for what, how can AI help me do some of the things in my life? And as you start, you, you add one task, you had two tasks, you had three tasks. And then suddenly you've got 50 tasks getting done by AI for a fraction of the cents on the dollar and a fraction of the time that it used to take you. 
And that's going to get you switching over to being AI integrated, right? But you'll be driving the AIs. You won't be getting taken over by AIs. It's you're, you're going to be a human using AI to be more effective. Then the second part is as, as the time starts to free up, and as Jeff was saying, the things that can go wrong, oh, suddenly I'm not needed to do all these tasks in my job or in my company, less people are paying me for it, that sort of thing. Think, what's the evolution of that? What's on the other side of that? How do I, okay, so if I'm in a job that's at risk because lots of AI um, solutions are now offering that service, right? Uh, copywriting, graphic design, uh, development, all of those kind of things. How do I change my skills to get in front of it? and use it as part of my skills rather than having it just replace me and not moving, right? So uh, we saw it maybe, um, geez, is it five, eight years ago now with the uh, Tesla trucks trying to come um, out to the market and the whole trucking industry like freaked out. No, 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 they're taking our jobs, they're taking our jobs. But no, the if you look at it, how does a truck driver evolve to drive automated trucks or be part of that industry? Right. I had a friend who's in the mining industry and they drive the big rig, like the huge earth movers. Right. So rather than get fired, he went and skilled up and he now runs a fleet of 20 trucks and he goes around mining sites, um, converting old traditional diesel driven trucks into automated fleet. And then he commands the fleet. Right? He saw that coming. Hmm. So look, wow. at, look at your industry, yeah. look at your job, look at your company. What's yep. the next bit when AI can do 80% of it? And how do I be in front of it, driving it, not behind it? Hmm. Excellent well point. Yep. My goodness. Well, I think in that's a good world, way to wrap. We're... <laughs> last one, in my world, <laughs> Hold on, in my world how do I be a designer when the interface that we interact with is going to disappear? and switch to conversations and chatbots and audio conversations and head up displays. Mm -hmm. So how do I design user interactions when there's no screen anymore? So that's what I'm thinking about. How do I evolve in my space? It's in every space, every industry is gonna need to go through it. So really start thinking. John in the comments, that truck driver saw the future tense. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yep. <laughs> Great pun, John. That is such, such a great way to wrap. I can't think of a better way to wrap. And it's interesting because um, some of the people I talked to just last week were so sure, Simon, that they were not going to be touched. They're like, well, I'm in a physical industry. Um, he was a house painter. Eh, it's not going to come for me, but I feel bad for you, Julia. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. And I sent him a link to the humanoids. And he's just like, what? Mm -hmm never heard of this didn't know it was coming and i shared your exact strategy simon like you know you could employ an army of these and they're painting the houses for you so he got pretty excited <laughs> the opportunity yeah. and how we think is so so critical here and just knowing like yeah this is going to come for i think every industry i don't see any like we shared in the first episode, every single 2,700 researchers confirmed this January oh. that every single industry is going to be touched. Oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but I think we should wrap. We are over the hour, but um, what a great guest, Simon. Thank you so much for all the thoughts you shared and just, um, you know, going there, all these conversations we normally have inside Continent Scale. It's great to bring them to you all on the outside with Future Tense and just talk about these things kind of with the world at large and make you all aware and help you stay informed on what is coming because what's coming is definitely bigger. I think than anything we've seen, I know I'm only, I've only been around 34 years, but <laughs> bigger than anything <laughs> I've seen for sure. And probably you all too, as well in the comments, people are saying, thank you so much for the food of thought. That's really cool. Well, we hope that you'll tune right back in here. If you enjoy Simon as a guest, please let us know the comments, the ratings are open to you. The show is streaming. I think, Jeff, let's let's try to give them the full list. It's Spotify, Pocket Cast. Oh, I can actually grab the full list in just a second, actually. Let me see here. You came prepared. Up. Yep. All I have to do is go to my Facebook profile. All right, here we go. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio Player FM, Amazon Music, Pocket Casts, and obviously YouTube. Yeah. And did you have Google Podcasts in there as well? We just got on there. Few days ago. Awesome. Yeah. So everybody listen. <laughs> Every platform. Thank you again, Simon, for being here. And we will wrap this up. We'll see you all next on our next episode of Future Tense. Sounds good. Bye, everybody.